and we will uh, learn to develop stories and adaptive responses to others in the world to take us away from our actual organic experience of ourselves. And then we'll resent the world and others and feel like they've left us. When it's so humbling for me to acknowledge that the person who has left me so often has been me, not others. And much of therapy is learning to be faithful to oneself. Welcome to part two of Between Two Therapists. In this episode, Frank, Peter, and I go deeper into the world of psychotherapy and developing greater self-awareness. Building on our conversation in part one, we talk about a variety of topics, including the reasons why people might seek therapy, symptoms of when we're disconnected with our authentic selves, and the role of friendships as a mirror in our lives, among many other topics. Re-listening to this conversation, I had a few aha moments about how I've been relating to my own emotions, especially fear, and how I can better relate to these feelings with more compassion and courage. If you haven't had a chance to check out part one, I definitely recommend starting there as we cover the foundation of Peter's and Frank's work. That said, you know there's a ton of nuggets in this episode for you to ponder, so if you'd like to start here, you're welcome to do that too. I hope you find this episode enjoyable and informative if you'd like to learn more about frank's and peter's work you can check out the show notes for more information and resources and without further ado please enjoy part two of this series um what are you guys seeing as trends what are clients coming to you for help with and maybe this is a trick question in a way because Uh what you see is like is not actually what's happening so you know feel free to unpack that but what what are clients coming to you guys to to talk about what do they say that they're coming to talk to me about versus (laughs) what do i see see. as what they're coming to talk about because those are radically different things yeah and it actually informs the the quality of the therapist Mm. so like in a let's go back to the self-help idea of, of books or like uh, what podcasts or whatever they're going to Google search or yeah, um, or the flavor of the month therapies that exist like cognitive behavioral therapy where the client comes in identifies a problem cognitive behavioral therapist does not challenge whether that is the actual problem or not right. and they create because they want the client to drive the therapy um and then they're going to create some sort of behavioral tasks that they can do to tackle that specific problem. Uh, and then, you know, maybe they make some headway, maybe they don't. It's like six, seven sessions. It's cheap, it's quick, just like those books. Take five, six steps, your mm-hmm. problems go away. Uh, and then they, if they have a lot of courage, they'll return back to therapy. Because what that is, is not therapy. Mm. What that is, is, um, uh, I don't know what that is. It's like a school teacher. Oh, you want to get an A in math? Okay, so here's some extra worksheets. You know, maybe I'll grade you on how well you did. You know, go back and practice more. Mm. Um, So when people come into my office, they have that mindset. That's what therapy is. They're going to help me get through this or hold me accountable to something. Or this is what I want to work on. A real therapist 
should be able to identify what is actually going on, what's actually driving the whole. Mm. Right? So the cognitive behavioral therapist is going to say, well, this person cognitively told me their problem, like it's a conscious thing, there's no unconscious drivers. This is the problem. We're going to address that sliver of their life. And it's not going to work because no research says it does. Mm. But we're going to do it because it's the easiest skill to teach a therapist. And clients can buy into that model because society is structured on quick fix, surface level dialogue, and no self-reflection because most people's problems are other people. Right. I have a problem with my wife, therefore you should leave her. That's like that's a reasonable conclusion from a cognitive behavioral therapist perspective. Right. Or how someone reflects on their own life, uh, not knowing why are they attracted to this type of personality. Mm. Um, what ways are they replaying their childhood in in their present relationships, which is driving this underlying pain. So like real therapists know how to do that because it's a present discussion. I'm suffering with my spouse. Um, or my spouse betrayed me. Well, your parents betrayed you too. Some overlap here mm. in, in what relationships you're attracting. So when people come in at its core, they're coming in uh, with an idea of what their problem is. And us quickly, very quickly, because of, let's say, our skill level, uh, appropriately diagnosing what the actual problem is that's driving all of it. And letting the person know that's what's going on, not what you think is going on. Mm -hmm. So if you actually want to fix it, this is what we're going to do. And if you're ready to do that, we'll do that. If you really believe it's that, that you're saying, you're better off trying that on your own. Again. Because most of the time, they've already tried it. Many times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? But the concern, let's say from a therapy world perspective, is they've been to other therapists and they've been incredibly unsuccessful through the therapy. And it's hard to redefine what is this, how is this relationship actually going to be what makes this therapy different than that one one is like skill one is um i can actually appropriately connect with you because i'm not afraid of you or your story or your content i hear you're in pain in your relationship but i'm glad you called me not a lawyer um Let's take the time to figure this out because these are big life decisions. But it won't take as much time as you think. Um, so it's, and it's kind, of, kind of general, but it's kind of describing what happens when people come in. Yeah. And the, looping back to something that we said very early in our session today, that the problem is never the problem. Right. right? I think that when people come to see me, they, they don't necessarily know why they're coming for mm -hmm. therapy. They have an idea about what the problems are. And my sense as a therapist is they're coming because they want to recover themselves. And they want to give up the false identity that they were given through their family of origin, their culture, their religion, their politic. 
and they want to recover their own embodied experience of themselves that is always true. Mm. The body simply does not lie. Yeah. And we will learn to develop stories and adaptive responses to others in the world to take us away from our actual organic experience of ourselves. And then we'll resent the world and others and feel like they've left us. Mm. When it's so humbling for me to acknowledge that the person who has left me so often has been me, not others. And much of therapy is learning to be faithful to oneself. Which doesn't mean as an excuse for bad behavior towards another. Right. Because fidelity to self never involves intentionally harming another. Yeah. Yeah. But it's that recovery of self, the re-embodiment of, the, of one's own bones and one's own experience that I think is what is the ultimate goal of therapy. Right. Right. So... For, for people who are uh, feeling that disconnect between who they are, really, and who they show up as, or yes. kind of the, the mask that they put on, yep. um, what are some of the symptoms of being disconnected? Mm. You know, uh, how, how does it show up in our lives? And I'm sure there's a myriad different ways. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what have you seen that's most kind of common as far as the disconnect? That's almost an impossible question. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, yeah. 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 I guess if we could, I yeah. we could just like do like a machine gun bullet of like <laughs> right. different well, things okay. that we see. Like, you know, right. like obviously substance abuses. Right. Um, process abuses. Uh, yeah, like a process abuses or like, um, you know, going gambling. through like rituals like gambling or like right. eating disorders or... Yeah. Um, a lot of sex addictions, conquest sex, affairs, yeah. um, a lot of Tinder, like people trying to carry multiple shallow relationships, right. um, uh, workaholism, people working uh, excessively, uh, or people procrastinating or working ineffectively. Right. It's, um, and it's also, I just want to jump in that, you know, we typically think of um, addiction or um, uh, compulsions as being what we're um, overly attached to. Mm. There's a shadow of that, which is what we're overly unattached to, what we are avoiding. Yeah. There's always within any addictive or compulsive or misuse behavior or process in our life, there's something that we're avoiding experiencing that has a similar addictive quality to it. I will avoid this experience at all costs. And typically the experience that I want to avoid at all costs is pain. Mm. Emotional pain and loss that unconsciously feels unsurvivable. Because there was a time in our life when our pain and our, and our sense of loss was experienced in isolation where there, there weren't witnesses who were there to mirror for us that this is survivable and you are not alone. And that wasn't because they showed up, got up in the morning and said, I'm, I'm not going to do the best job I can with my family today. It's because it's generational. 
we yeah. parent the way we were parented until we let that uncon- those unconscious messages come to the fore. And they can stop driving our life, as you quoted Young saying. Mm-hmm. Right? Other symptoms that people could look for is just um, confusion about why do I do what I do? Uh, often a, a good mirror is because uh, observation, a lot of people are clueless about not totally clueless, but know very little about themselves. Mm. You know, despite being Peter Stathakos for X amount of years of my life, I won't reveal my age on camera. <laughs> but uh, I'm either really old or I'm really young. So coy. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening to the to podcast, he looks like he's 20 years old. So, <laughs> yeah. baby face. Uh. <laughs> the bearded baby face. The bearded baby face. <laughs> but you could go ask your friends. Hey, um, or people that are close to you, how they see you. Am I fucked? You know, why can't I do this? Or what's getting in the way of that? Someone else can act as a mirror be like, eh, you're, you're kind of like this. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I watch you in, in bars. I can see why no woman is interested in you based on how you're acting. Uh, so if, let's say, consulting with friends would give some feedback to someone, but it's not going to give, um, depending on their friend group, probably the most effective answers in fixing it. Um, but it will give someone an eye test for something that they see, uh, especially if your friends are honest with you. Uh, a lot of people's friendships, they don't have that kind of honesty. Hey, well, what do you see when I'm dating this person? Or, uh, you know, if your friendships are the ones that are just going to tell you, this is great, you know, you have someone and someone's better than no one. Mm-hmm. Um, that'd be a starting point of, oh shit, I'm in real trouble. Because I don't have real friends. Mm-hmm. That would be a sign to me that I got problems to Maybe I need some help on rebuilding my life so that I can have better friendships, better, you know, those from, relationships might be familiar, but it's a good feedback tool of, uh, in the short term, of how well you're doing. Because uh, you'd want people to tell you with compassion and love what, the, what they see about you. Mm. Not, you know, someone like in a china shop right. saying, well, you you're a terrible human. I hate you, but we're we're friends, or we fight every other week. Like you know, like there's got to be some sort of look at the relationships that you have and what kind of information you can share with them. Mm-hmm. If you guys are strangers but best friends, that should be telling that you need uh, that there's a hole inside that you need to address. Um, so, for instance. Um I can't tell you the number of times that uh, I started working with a male client somewhere between 20 years minus plus my age. And uh, as part of the exploration, initially, I'm getting a sense of the relationships. And I'll ask, you know, uh, do you have a close friend, close male friend? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's your close male friend's name? Uh, Tom. Uh, You've been close for a long time? Oh, yeah. When's the last time you and Tom kind of connected? Oh, she's, well, 
you know, it's been a couple of years. We're both really busy. <laughs> and this, you know, uh, I'm making a little bit light of it, but it happens over and over again that, um, particularly for men, mm-hmm. that they don't have a close male friend. They don't have another man in the world who they can tell the truth to. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a terrible loneliness and a terrible isolation. The number of men I work with who will identify that they have lots of buddies, but nobody that they would actually turn to and talk about being afraid. Right. Yeah, kind of uh, American Dad uh, has a funny joke about this. Yeah. Where the, I'm blanking on what the alien dude's name is. Roger? I don't know. Oh, yeah, cool. we can, we well, can anyway, this is a free yeah. plug for the show. <laughs> yeah. uh, American Dad. Sorry if we got the name wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think Roger's the alien character's name. Uh, he makes reference to... makes it look like they're friends, but instead he there's like a flash. It's like a GIF image where right. it says, you know, friendsly. Friendsly. <laughs> you know, not friends, but actually strangers. Right, right. And a, a lot of people's friendships are built on that. We've been friendsly for 20 years yeah. Um, where you don't actually know how you know, messed up my relationships are with my girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, right. or how shit it was or why I was so excited about moving out. You know, I was, mm. you know, at that age I was promoting it as like, yeah, I want some more independence, you know, I'm making it in this world. It's proof I'm the man or whatever. Right. I've made it, but there's a whole other backstory of why I want to get out of there that, you know, a lot of friends don't share with each other. So it's like a stranger element to a lot of relationships that uh, doesn't mean it has to be full disclosure of everything in one's life. No. But uh, more. Mm-hmm. More risk, more closeness, more um, sharing. And you would kind of people took the risk they would learn about the relationships that they have are they with people that don't want to listen to it what's their response to it so i'll give you an example uh and is it, it about me and you yes all right <laughs> all right i love so, how you already knew that was exactly <laughs> i was using my skills that i referenced earlier i know what people are thinking yeah yeah, yeah. so so one of the um one of the best things uh, in my life is being able to have my shadow in front of me Mm. and not unconsciously driving me. So I love being able to talk to Peter and and say to him, honestly, you know what? I'm really struggling with my own entitlement, with my own sense of deserving something Mm. that's bigger than what what I actually um, deserve. I'm not entitled to that, but I feel this anger because my shadow is telling me that I am entitled. And that I should sim- simply have that or get that, and that somebody's not giving it to me, and they're wrong, mm. right? and they're ripping me off either emotionally or psychically or uh, socially or in whatever way. And to have Peter be able to hear that and not say to me, "Oh no, Frank, you're right." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. To ha- that is just a simple example of um, the kind of friendship that really allows me to grow. I don't have to be ashamed with Peter when I acknowledge my entitlement. I don't have to unconsciously think, if I tell him the truth about that, 
he's going to leave me mm. as my friend, or he's going to reject me. Mm. What I do do, though, is make jokes about it. Yes. Right. Um, which I like. Yeah, which yeah. is what friends do. Yeah. But uh, also be able to be in the space of the um, entitlement, as he, in the example that he's using. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or someone, it could be someone else's pain. Like, it's something I observe is... Uh, like the a lot of the quality of relationships are going to be both people need to have a a tolerance level of someone else's discomfort yes many times i'm in a bar and restaurant and i see people someone might be sharing something difficult uh uh actually i remember this from years ago this group of women were there and one woman shares that her boyfriend broke up with her mm-hmm. and she's starting to cry and she's starting to talk about the, what happened to lead to it. And it's table of four. Two of the women are, don't cry about it. It was good. He was terrible for you anyway. You know what? We're going to go find someone else for you right now. Right. And they start scanning the bar <laughs> and I'm, I'm raising my hand. I'm like, <laughs> pick me, pick, pick me. me, you know? <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> I wasn't picked. I didn't. Uh, I didn't fit their profile. Um, it's not your fault. No, it's, it's okay. I didn't take it personally. But I'm sure they would have sensed that I probably would have been there and been like, "This is your friends have now abandoned you, just like your boyfriend has, mm. and uh, you need someone to talk to. That's why you showed up at the bar with." the people that you called your friends Mm -hmm. and they're not being your friend right now. Mm. So she scheduled an appointment. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But, uh, but that's actually what was happening there. Yeah. Um, were they her friends? No, not that day anyway. Right. So that's to me what, what I get out of that is, uh, Two parts. One is hey, you have to have the courage to be vulnerable if you're going yes. to look for a relationship or a friend that gives you what you need to hear. Because unless you actually show up in that way where you're, you know, humble and, and, and vulnerable, it's hard to do. Yeah. And then secondly, I think in that's fact, really it's good. Impossible. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You just can't do it. Um, and then on the other side, what? If, if you're looking for, you know, being in a good, uh, you know, mental health, uh, being in good mental health, you need people around you in your life who can tell you things. And, and so the quality of the relationships is another kind of barometer, yes. indicator of how healthy yeah. you are mentally. Yeah. Um, it's always helpful to ask the, ask the question of myself, what is it that I'm hesitant Mm. to share with the closest people in my life? Mm. That's a great question. It's a really good question. Yeah. Because right? it takes me to my my edge of growth. Yeah. yeah. What are your, your guys' thoughts on fear? Because to that I love point, it. I, yeah. I well, do. It's really important. So, so tell, tell me about that because yeah. I, I feel a lot of fear. At least I, I, I still do right now, but I, in the past it did, you know, yeah. because of the, 
uh, fear of uncertainty or fear of lack of control, fear right. that was just ingrained in me because of childhood experiences. Yes. What role does fear play in our lives? And more importantly, what should it play? Yes. Yeah. So I, lo I love the question. I love the whole concept of fear. So I'm going to leave the camera for just a minute because we tend to take fear and we tend to be taught to take fear and to put it away somewhere and to override it and to not pay attention to it because it's bad and it's going to harm us. So don't admit it. Never admit you're afraid because the other animals are going to smell it <laughs> and they're not going to be nice to you in the playground. <laughs> right. Right. And a, a very large part of um, the therapeutic process is being able to encounter our fear, to know what it feels like in our body, to know what the message of it is, to know where it came from, and to be able to then bring that experience to our current reality and test it against our current reality. Mm. So for, uh, to be real specific, for a client in a session, a couple session, to discover their terror that their partner will lead them and actually feel it in the moment and be able to say to their partner directly, my stomach is churning because I'm terrified that you will leave me. And nine times out of ten, the partner is like, had no idea that this terror was driving all kinds of really maladaptive behavior in the relationship. Mm. Sometimes the partner who's terrified that they're going to be left didn't even know how terrified they were until that moment. And it's a historical terror, a developmental terror, that at one time in their lives was true. Mm. And they had to override it in order to survive. Something that Frank's describing is kind of like when you're afraid in a relationship that someone's going to leave you. And then he said maladaptive. That could just look like acting like an ass so that this fear gets materialized. Exactly. Mm. And then you're fighting about, you know, the, you know, back and forth about like something that's happening. But underneath is this person like trying to highlight, make to real life this fear mm. that, that you're going to be left. Yes. So the, like fear has many functional components. But a lot of people just talk about it in terms of, I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of that. I tend to look at fears, you know, sometimes, some things you should be afraid of. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. can't dismiss that, obviously. It's not necessarily a growth opportunity, it's just like, you know, someone sliding over coke to you. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm afraid of the impact of me having that. Right, right, sure. Right, so it's, I gotta honor that fear and say, I'm gonna... I guess for me, fear, I'm going to use a different word. Yeah. Uh, opportunities for courage. Mm. Mm. You can't have courage without the presence of fear. Right. Otherwise, it's nothing. You know, so you, you see a lot of people take dangerous risks. You know, this guy's fearless. Okay, fine. The guy's fearless, but it doesn't mean he's got courage. He could just be flat out stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So, like, the Coke example... You know, I'm going to activate my courage and step myself out of the group mm. and say no. Mm. Um, you know, fear in uh, relationships. You know, I'm afraid to tell this person in Frank's example that I'm afraid that they're going to leave me. It's going to take courage. Mm. There's, there's a greater good 
when you're trying to activate this type of courage so that you don't become, let's say, uh, you know, in platonic terms, you know, foolhardy, mm. or, you know, like uh, this abandonment of fear and courage and just stupid. Right. Um, when, we, when we dismiss and deny our fear, we are likely to become more tough than brave. Mm. Okay. Tell me more about that. So tough is that sense of being um, un invulnerable, mm -hmm. unreachable, untouchable. Okay. Mm. Whereas brave has much more of an open-heartedness to it. Right. A willingness to be vulnerable and to risk the possibility of loss rather than to deny and defend against it and create an outward situation where we, we protect ourselves from the experience of the vulnerability and the possibility of loss. Mm. If I show up with my partner or my friend or my best friend and I tell them the truth about what I'm experiencing, it is true that they may leave me. Mm. That is true. That's one of the possibilities. Another possibility is that they, they will understand me and they will stay. Mm. And they will ask maybe for some, some behavior change. Or they may ask how they can support me in living with my experience of myself or my experience of the relationship or how can we, how can we improve this together? Mm. How can I be with you? It may not even be about improving it or changing behavior. It may just be about being with this truth together. Mm. That's much more brave than the toughness of I'm not afraid and I will push through and I will push on, yeah. which in an emergency is really important. It's really important in an emergency to be able to override that fear and get the hell out of the burning building mm. and take the person who's most valuable in the world with you as, as you go. It's really important. Mm. It's also really important when you're not in a life or death situation to be able to have the vulnerability of being able to say, I'm frightened. Mm. And this is what I'm frightened of. What you're hitting on though is a lot of people's fear, like let's say the question, do I want to disclose that my partner is going to leave me? Right. The experience of fear that they have, though, is their house is on fire. Yes. Um, this is life and death. Yes, for them. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there's something wrong perceptually. Mm. Like the way they're interpreting their life or their situation or their relationship. Mm. You know, in a burning building, you will be burned to death. Yes. Right. Um, a relationship uh, breaking or improving, that's not actually what's at stake. Right. A lot of dreams, a lot of, um, I don't know, could be money, could be sacrifices, uh, you know, a lot of pain of like what someone wished for through this relationship or life. That's what's going to be, let's say, burned, mm -hmm. but not the whole self. Right. despite the how some people perceive it mm. you know let's say that one in ten chance example that Frank uh, was sharing where the person says I'm afraid you're gonna leave me that one in ten if that's actually the true number it's not it's not when you say but one in ten like like what well, he said nine times out of ten the person's gonna affirm that oh I had no idea that you thought I was gonna leave I'm totally committed uh, everything's yeah. fine mm -hmm. like let's say someone's uh, terror is affirmed Yes, I am going to leave you. Mm -hmm. um, or it could just be, I think about leaving. I haven't chosen to. Mm -hmm. Either way, 
the there's an uh, this fear is being mediated in the real world. Right. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, like a lot of people's fears are exist exclusively in their own mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to, you know, perform. I, I, I want to do karaoke. I'm too afraid. They don't go do it. Mm-hmm. Or I want to learn something. I want to take a risk in changing my career, my job. Mm-hmm. I want to. It, fears hold people back. At, at the very least, of bringing something forward. It could be mediated in real time, regardless of the outcome. Being afraid someone, let's say, is going to leave you, is probably more paralyzing, because you're probably living on a type of eggshells of, mm-hmm. if I do this or if I leave, you know, food out, mm-hmm. you know, this person, that's going to be the thing that causes them to leave. Or if I don't go to my in-laws' house with them, even though I don't want to, this Sunday, even though I was there on the Saturday, and mm-hmm. three of the four weeks you know, for weekends in a row. <laughs> You know, that's going to be the thing that breaks the relationship. Mm. Um, it's just way easier to put the fear in real time where it could either be affirmed or rejected. Right. And it's, an, it's an opportunity in real time to go from um, a childhood fear of an abandonment mm. to an adult fear of being left. Mm. One of uh, my uh, kind of favorite go-to people to read is uh, Terrence Real, and he has a, a phrase that I love, you know, that uh, children are abandoned, adults are left. Hmm. So as an adult, when I have this paralyzing fear of being abandoned that either keeps me stuck in inertia or causes me to run around trying to make everything right so that it doesn't happen, it's really important for me to recognize that this is an inner child experience. Hmm. And as an adult, I cannot be abandoned. I can be left. Mm. And so this terror of abandonment, this fear of abandonment, is information for myself about a historical experience that isn't current. Mm. And yet, I'll project that out there and make sure it happens. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it's an opportunity for for me to take care of myself as an adult. Because in ways that you weren't cared for as a child. Right. Mm-hmm. To be right. the so corrective like to be, parent to self. Mm-hmm. Right. Like to be abandoned as a child is death. Yes. Right. Right. You know. It's unsurvivable. Right. Um, but when people, let's say in that marriage relationship or committed relationship example, the bringing that child fear right. intensity to like their adult situation. Yeah. Because um, the adult would would look at it or the responsible adult or the look at that's not what that's what's at stake here right you know my dreams with this person are going to be crushed or they're going to be left on a table somewhere in as i process my pain but i can have these dreams with someone else Mm. or maybe i'll create new dreams right um it's also the experience that if they do leave they're gone i'm not the abandonment fear for a child is if the, the caregiver is gone, I'm gone. Because our identity... Are attached. Right. right. Because we don't have the complexity, we don't have the capacity to be individual, uh, separate, completely from our caregiver. Yeah. When we carry that developmental wound into adulthood, we unconsciously 
it becomes a survival thing because if that person abandons me, then I disappear. Right. That's the unconscious fear. Right. We grow ourselves up by taking care of ourselves in good ways, in a corrective kind of parenting, a corrective kind of loving, so that we know this person can leave me and I will grieve mm. and it will hurt. Mm. I will still be here. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so then I don't have to completely give myself up in order to make sure that person doesn't abandon me and I disappear. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. By overcompensating, being in mesh, doing, uh, you know, things in the relationship that really aren't good for me or the relationship and pretending that they are so the person won't leave me in this hole. Busy, busy, busy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so... I actually think this is a really good place to to leave this part of the conversation because yes. I do want to, um, in our next conversation, talk a little bit about, about childhood, and childhood experiences, traumas, big T, little T, and how that impact impacts us. Um, this conversation has been fabulous. I've um, really enjoyed hearing everything that we've covered in this in this um in this piece and um yeah i'm looking forward to kind of listening to it again and and identifying some um, pieces both at a high level i think we went kind of picture what's going to happening what's happening and also specifics around um the reframing of of certain things so um i appreciate you guys so much for taking the time to do this and um I hope the listeners also enjoyed it as well. And we'll uh, see you back here for the next conversation. Thanks so much for listening. Special thank you to Hugh for the theme music. You can check them out at hearhue.bandcamp.com. If you'd like to learn more about the Ikigai Project, you can check out my weekly blog at ikigai.blog. And that's it for now. Take good care, everyone. I need to